0: we're from the first table of the law to the second table of the law. I brought a little overlay that might help you uh, visualize what I'm talking about. So over the period of the last few weeks, I've, I've moved up from the grease board to the overhead, and the next thing we said would be PowerPoint. <laughs> Stepping up here in the world. This is um, This is a visual to help you see what I'm talking about, moving from the first table of the law to the second. And we... One of the reasons we call, we divide the commandments that way is based upon a New Testament passage in the Gospels where Jesus was approached one day and a man asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest law? And Jesus took that opportunity to summarize the law in in really two different categories. He said, Well, first, remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your strength. Well, that we would consider the first four commandments. And then Jesus said the second would be this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then that for us tonight would include commandments 5 through 10. So we're making that transition. We've covered the first four. Now we begin tonight with 5 through 10. The first four commandments would be our relationship to God, our duty to the Father. And the last six commandments has to do with our responsibility to fellow man. Now before I get into commandment 5, I want to introduce a concept that I think will be helpful as we finish our study. And it's the concept, you see the arrow there, it's the concept that justice and mercy are the two absolute moral commands. Now I take this from Micah 6.8, eight. remember the passage there, um, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before the Lord." So that's where I get this idea of uh, the justice and mercy as the two absolute moral commands now, if we use this as sort of a grid to filter the other commandments too' we'll, we we can see how if we limit our understanding of the law to just justice we we can actually violate the commandments and not even know we're doing it. My argument is this: there is a justice part of the law which says. That is, includes the thou shalt not. But the mercy part of the law moves us forward. It moves us into another direction as believers. And so I submit to you tonight that often we violate the commandments because we haven't moved forward to the mercy side of the commandments. Let me explain it a little bit further. Guys, uh, the question I want you to think about is why would God put so much in, emphasis upon justice and mercy? Well, one of the reasons is that justice and mercy cover every conceivable human situation. Now, think about it. There's no hidden nook or cranny in our lives where we can ignore the demands of justice and mercy. Everything we know, we understand that everything must be fair. If it's not fair, it's not right. That's the justice side of it. Everything we do must be helpful, at least not hurtful that's the justice side of the law if we mean to hurt or not help it's not right that's justice justice, secondly, justice and mercy form now this is very helpful justice and mercy form this kind of counterpoint in life justice holds us back in respect it tells us to let people have what they have mercy Pushes us toward people in care. It tells us to get into people's lives so that they can we can help them have what they ought to have and to accomplish what they ought to accomplish. Justice holds us back. Mercy pushes us forward. Justice tends to urge us to keep the rules. Again, that's the Thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments. Mercy translates those negative commands into the positive invitations to be helpful to our fellow man now there is a common sense of justice in this world it's something that god has impressed upon the hearts of every man everybody most everybody in our world today in your community has this common sense of justice it's this law written upon our hearts this undeniable standard that people have rights to certain things. I mean, justice is all about rights. Uh, the common sense of justice entails that obligation we have as human beings to treat our neighbor in a right manner. Um, it means if I have a right to stay alive then you have an obligation not to harm me. That's the justice. That's common sense of justice. Now, when we get into the Scriptures, the the Word of God takes us to that common sense of justice but leads us beyond that to a a biblical sense of justice. And an example of this would be, if you study the prophets of the Old Testament... um, The prophets saw, as they looked across the land of Israel, they saw often injustice would be the rule of the day. And they were outraged that the Hebrew people, God's people, would be unjust. They would, in some of the literature, roar with indignation and warning against God's people because they saw that the poor and the weak were being taken advantage of. But they didn't stop there. Amos, for example... uh, he he presses this point even further. And he says it's true that there is this sense of ordinary justice. Uh, They wanted the poor people to get their rights, and yet they had a larger vision for just mere justice. True justice, Amos would teach, is fulfilled in righteousness. Justice and mercy come in tandem. And Amos cries out in Amos chapter 5, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness or mercy like an ever-flowing stream. So guys, I believe Amos understood that justice flowing from this true righteousness, this God-given sense of righteousness to His people, moves us beyond just the common sense of justice to humanity made whole. So mercy moves us beyond common, the common sense of justice to a biblical sense of justice. For example, justice exists where people's rights are being respected. Now you, you you experience this every day in your life. I built a fence this past fall, a privacy fence. Well, the common sense of justice told me to stay on my property line, not to get over on my neighbor's property line. That's the common sense of justice. But mercy exists. Mercy comes in for the Christian and pushes us even further than that. Mercy exists where people care for their neighbor. They genuinely care and they move toward their neighbor and they befriend them and help them. Mercy exists when we bind the wounds of our enemy. So that's, I want us to think in those concepts as we look at the last, the half, last half of the law, this second table of the law. Let's look at commandment number 5. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Sorry I had to rush through that, but I I wanted to present that to you just to to get us a little bit deeper into the commandments in the next uh, two weeks, tonight and next Wednesday night. Commandment number 5. Now, what I'm going to do again is read the prologue, verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip over to verse uh, number 12. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now here's the question for us tonight as we as begin each commandment. Why the fifth commandment? Why this time? Why has the Lord taken care to and uh, given us a mandate to honor our parents Well, the the answer to that lies in, in this question. What is the basic role of parenting? According to the scriptures, as you think about God's mandate to his people, think in terms of covenant Israel, what is the basic role of parenting? Well, it's to teach the children the law of God. It's to teach a godly heritage. It involves the posterity of the Hebrew man and his family. A future, a heritage. And it hinged upon the sons and daughters knowing the law of God. So in Israel, parenthood and family function properly when parents, especially the fathers, preserved God's word in their hearts and they handed, they passed that heritage on to their children. Now, I want you to notice this here in verse, um, in this, in Commandment 5. Remember, when we talked in Commandment 4, we noted in verse 4 that only the Father was, me- I mean in Commandment 4, in, in verse 10, only the Father was mentioned, um, if I can find my place, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son. See, they leave, he leaves out the mother. The father shouldn't do it, nor your son's your daughter. We made mention of that. But here in this text, in commandment number five, the Lord takes care to mention both the father and the mother. The father and the, and the mother are to be honored. Guys, I think the, the Bible presents the relationship here of the, the, the authority between husband and wife where the husband is to leave the family. Commandment number five, both father and mother are to be honored equally see in commandment four, it was assumed the Hebrew man the family understood that the father and mother are one but in this commandment the Lord takes care to mention both both the father and mother are to be honored equally could it be that God knew that the children the sons and daughters would be more tempted to dishonor the mother because she was the weaker one physically. Don't dishonor your mother. Uh, A lot of application could be made here. Guys, if you have children, father, I'm speaking to fathers tonight, if you have children at home, you should never allow your kids to dishonor their mother. Never allow it. Teach them, when they dishonor their mother, they're dishonoring God. They're violating this commandment, and they're also dishonoring you as the father. And I, can, I, can, I say this to you, fathers, the best way to teach this is by example. Fathers, husbands, honor your wives. Value your wives and your kids, your sons and daughters will learn a lot from that. Now, what does it mean to honor one's parents? Uh, this is the good practical side of this commandment. To honor one's parents involves both, I think, respect and esteem. Respect has to do with deference. Um, that's when our children yield to our opinion, and respect, by the way guys, comes early. This is something you should teach in early childhood. Um, for example, come when they're called. they ought to come. They ought to go where you tell them to go and do what you tell them to do. They are to refrain from those restrictions you have in your home. That is, uh, this respect they're learning for their adults. Uh, esteem has more to do with, closer to do with honor. And I submit to you that this esteem part of this is earned over time. That is, as parents, we, we, we earn this, the esteem of our children by the way that we live our lives. And they're watching us by example. Um, this is the commandment too. That's with notice. It's, this is the commandment with a promise: long life in the land is what the, the Lord says. Children, honor your parents. I promise you, you'll have long life in the land. Now, uh, this is one of those portions of Scripture that we we have to be careful here because this is not a rule without exception. We can't absolutize this commandment. That is, if you. Always honor and obey your parents, guaranteed long life. You can't, you know, it's not a rule without exception. Uh, I had a sister, Barbara, who, and she loved, she valued, she honored her parents. But the Lord took her when she was 18 years old. So this is not a rule without exception. But neither are we to downplay this promise. Anyone who honors their parents will benefit from doing so. For example. Uh, If you read through the book of Proverbs, it's over and over again in this wisdom book. Uh, Proverbs answers this question. Why does a father teach a son? Because the son is to learn wisdom from the father, which the the Proverbs will say, which will give long life. Proverbs 3.16 is an example of this. If you continue reading through the book of Proverbs, you'll learn that wisdom is something that's very practical. The writer will say, the father is speaking to his son. Don't run with robbers. It will cost you your life. It's practical instruction. Avoid the immoral woman. Woman, her house will, be, will lead to death. The desires of a lazy man are his death. for He refuses to use his hands. Fools die through lack of wisdom or understanding. So it goes on and on. Practical instructions as a son and the daughters heed the father's instructions and they watch him by, live his life and they watch by example. Now, there are really two categories of people here, and some of you have fallen in both categories. There are um, some of us who are parents, and then there are some of us who are both parents and sons or daughters. So this commandment covers most all of us in here tonight, doesn't it? We all, most of all, have parents. Some of us parents aren't living, but we have children that are alive, or you may, uh, you know, on and on it goes. So the commandment applies to all of us how do you earn the honor of your children if you're a parent I'm telling you how you can earn the honor of your of your children okay with me number one good practical stuff you can you ought to write this down if you're a parent how do you earn the honor of your children first of all walk uprightly you ought to love God's law I just this little saying in my desk under my glass I'd see it all the time You've heard me say this before. What my family needs most from me is my sanctification. They need to see Dad conforming to the image of Christ. Uh, your kids will honor you if you walk uprightly. Uh, Paul wrote to the church, the young church, Follow me as I follow Christ. We ought to be able to say that to our sons and daughters. Follow me as I follow Christ. Secondly, as a parent, we ought to love our children with the love of Christ. Guys, we're the most important teachers of God's love and grace to our children. Love with the love of Christ. Thirdly, uh, we are, ought to discipline in love. And this is a tough one, guys. I mean, I've, I've been a parent for 22 years, and I, I still have memories of discipline and dis- disciplining my kids. <laughs> And it's hard sometimes. Sometimes we, we're tempted to discipline in anger, and sometimes I did. I disciplined my, my two in anger. But we, we ought not discipline our kids. Now, there is a righteous anger that we have, a righteous indignation against sin and disobedience, but we're not to discipline in anger. A great resource for this is um, um, the book Dare to Discipline. I think it's still in print. It may be in our bookstore if you want to read some on this issue of discipline. By the way, guys, even even opportunities to discipline our kids is an opportunity to embrace them. One of the things we practiced in our house was in discipline. Is I never, I never raised my hands against my kids. I never slapped around on my kids. Never spanked them with my hands. Oh, I might have. Once or twice, you know, couldn't get to something and spanked them on the bottom. But, but you know what I mean. Never out of anger took my hand to my kids and slapped them, especially around the heads and stuff, guys. I do not do that Uh, because you know when I raise my hands to my kids, I don't want them to do that. I want them to reach out and and embrace me. And there were times some of you laughed because you slapped your kids today. There were. (laughs) I can remember times after discipline my kids um, and Brian was really a little more soft a little more believe it or not my son was a little more easier than Holly in, in that kind of discipline but I can remember times after discipline Brian and there were that opportunity to embrace you know each other and, uh, and we were both sometimes exchanging apologies but I'm, i got to move on um, discipline and love number four be trustworthy do what you say you will do guys if you tell your kids you're going to do something Follow through. Uh, Be trustworthy with your kids. Let me add something here, too. Uh, Don't violate their trust. You know, grandmother doesn't need to know how bad Johnny was today. You know, don't violate their trust. Number five, respect your children. Your children need to be honored and respected. And a way to do this as a parent is to be a servant to your kids. Um, Protect their privacy. And when a child hears an apology from a parent, oh, I was wrong. I, I, I was wrong. It enhances their child's uh, self-worth. So respect your children. There, there are five ways you can earn the honor of your children. By the way, Paul teaches about the, the fifth commandment. I don't have time to get into Ephesians 6, but if you look in the book of Ephesians, especially 5 and 6, Paul deals with the issue of unity in the body of Christ. Uh, one, the first thing he says about it, you want to nurture unity in the church, first thing you ought to do, submit to God. That's chapter 5. And then in chapter 5, verse 21, then he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to God, submit to each other. The first issue he deals with in chapter 6, husband and wife relationship. Husbands and wives, you ought to submit to each other. Love each other. Emulate Christ between each other. And then he moves to the relationship between children and parent. Uh, and the point I'm making here, guys, it's not incidental that Paul first addresses the, the critical issue of husband-wife relationship. Uh, and the point, again, is a husband and wife unity. I believe this. The husband and wife unity is the forerunner, the nurturing effect of the children honoring your parents, honoring their parents. I think one of the greatest tributes a daughter can pay to his her father is to look for a husband who is just like her dad because she's watched her dad love a woman. Uh, good practical stuff here. Let me finish with this. How, do, how can you honor your parents? Most of us, are, most everyone in here are adults, and many of us have parents. Uh, how do we honor our parents? You know what I discovered in this when I uh, really jumped into all this? It dawned on me while I was studying this weeks and weeks back uh, My parents are in their mid-70s. I've discovered that as my parents grow older, I need to extend to them some of the very same things I needed from them when I was a child. It's amazing. You think about it, if you've got older parents. Um, My parents need sometimes, they just need me to listen and I've, I've been under conviction about the fact you know I told you I prayed that prayer Lord exposed to me where I've sinned and where I can do better and this is one of those areas where the Spirit of God convicted me studying this my father would sometimes come for a visit and, and one of the complaints I hear is you know from my mom later well you you just you, you just need to sit down at the table more and just listen and talk you know I'm up moving around doing things going from one thing to the next you know and, and he just he wants you to listen my dad's getting those first evidences of um, uh, forgetting, you know, Alzheimer's, and he tends to repeat stories. You know, and I, I get a little impatient because I don't know. Do you, do you realize you just told me that just, you know, ten minutes ago? And so I get impatient. But guys, he he just needs me to listen. Um, secondly, just be patient. Sometimes, sometimes some of our parents have health problems, and it requires more patience from us um, I remember when I this is the third thing I remember when I was growing up one day my dad and mom went to Fred P. Gaddis. remember the old Fred P. Gaddis stores Le- left me at home I was playing in the neighborhood and my, later that afternoon my dad came back they came back and sitting in my room on my nightstand was a little box about this big, and inside it was a transistor radio. It was about that small. and a man, back in you know, the late 60s, that was a prize to have a transistor radio that big. And, you know, I wasn't expecting that. That was no, no occasion. It wasn't birthday, but he just surprised me with that gift. And that little transistor radio sticks out in my mind. You know, to this day, my dad at 74 years old, he loves to open presents. Surprise him. Surprise your parents sometimes with an unexpected gift and you can honor your parents. Another way you can honor your parents is walk uprightly. Live for God. Love the Lord. It brings honor to the parents. Another way is support them. Sometimes our parents are in a situation where it calls for financial support. Finally, affirmation. They need to know that they've been good parents. I want to cause a smile on your dad's face or your mom's face. Just remind them This weekend, What a good job they did raising you. Let's go now to the next commandment. Uh, This is commandment number 6, verse 13. Again, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall not murder. This past Monday, our country kind of paused just briefly as Timothy McVeigh was executed. I think this, I understood this was the first uh, federal execution in, I don't know, many years. And Timothy McVeigh was executed for crimes against society, against fellow man. Oh, guys, there is this uh, this capital punishment issue will continually raise a debate in our country as to, is it right for the government to take another man's life? Did you see where Bush was, is over in uh, Brussels and some of the governments, foreign government, I think maybe France uh, issued a formal complaint against the United States because of capital, encouraging the United States to do away with capital punishment. Well, one of the few countries that, uh, can, you know, democratic countries that still allow capital punishment. It's an ongoing debate. And the issue is you have two competing worldviews coming against each other. One of those worldviews says that life is a goal in and of itself. It moves beyond respect for life, which, which is biblical, to a reverence for life, which is not biblical. That's a competing... It's an existentialistic view of life. Life is, is of the ultimate goal. It's the ultimate goal. The ultimate good in itself. The biblical worldview is different. The biblical worldview says that human life is not a goal in and of itself. You have to listen to me very carefully here. You might be confused a bit. Life is not a goal in and of itself, but it's designed for service to God and neighbor. It's a gift from God designed to bring, ultimately, to bring glory to the Creator. So living is not life's greatest good. Human life, human life, does not have absolute value. Now, follow me. The biblical view is life is to be respected because it is a sacred thing. It's a gift from God. And God's intention was that through life, glory is brought to his name. Um, I don't know what your scripture, your version says, but anybody's version say with this commandment, thou shalt not kill. Does anybody have kill there? What version are you using? King the King James uses the, the the word kill. That's not the best translation. Um, it's should be, it's better read thou shalt as the NIV says thou shalt not um, commit uh, thou shalt not murder. The, it's a better word used, but that's not the best. You get into the Hebrew text and you get a better picture of what's going on here. The Hebrew text indicates that this commandment is dealing with unlawful killing. Or a killing that violates justice it's the Hebrew word rasha unlawful killing by the way that Hebrew word rasha never appears in anywhere in the scripture in a context where God uh, commands that a life be taken or where a, a soldier in combat kills an enemy it's never used in that context here it's used as unlawful killing it's the word rasha And the Sixth Commandment is is speaking of a very specific kind of killing. Um, One that doesn't serve society, but one that violates society. It's better read, and here's the better reading of this commandment You shall not kill unlawfully. Now, the debate today of capital punishment, especially in our country, raises the question as a Christian, we must defend capital punishment. How do we defend it as a believer? And can we defend it from Scripture? Well, the answer must be yes. And the basis is, in in the Old Testament, for example, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Remember that text? Whosoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made them. Now, who is the man in this text? Who has the authority to take a life of a murderer, someone who kills unlawfully? For the scriptures teach us that it's the government. The sword, the scripture says, has been entrusted to the government, not to the individual man, but to the government. So the government has authority by God to punish the wrongdoer. Here's here's the scripture for this. Romans 13, you can write this down. Romans 13 is a good text for this. Um, Paul teaches that everyone in this text must submit himself to the authority of the government. And then he continues, and I'm quoting Romans 13, verses, I think, 4, somewhere right in there. The government is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, what is the government? How does it serve as a sword? Well, it brings down the sword that has a, two sides of justice, two sides of the sword. One is punishment, punishment of the wrongdoer. And the other side of the sword is restraint. So, what this punishment and restraint, how it serves society is it builds a wall of protection for all of us against the wrongdoer or the evildoer. And the positive aspect of this is that the sword, the sword of the government, can serve life. All right? So, that's quickly some biblical argument for um, capital punishment. Now, guys, I want us to think about this a little bit deeper because there is this mercy side of this, believe it or not, that we must discuss tonight because we can violate this commandment and not even know it. All of us, see, to a certain extent are murderers. I mean, if if measured by its deepest meaning, the sixth commandment, we're, we're, we're guilty of this see, the sixth commandment restrains people from doing what is really down deep in their heart they would like to do. Now, here we're moving to the heart of the matter. Now, let's, let me review. Why does God hate murder, unlawful killing? Because it violates His justice. That's the negative part of the command. Thou shalt not. Secondly, man was created in the image of God. Our arguments are from Genesis 1 and 2 god's image is stamped upon us we read the passage in genesis 9 verse 6 whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be uh, shed for in the image of god man was made thirdly because murder reveals the true evil in a man's heart now here we got to go to the new testament i want you to look in matthew chapter 5 hate to rush through this stuff. I'm sorry that I have to do it. Matthew 5 verse 21. Now remember I made the comment, we go to the, the New Testament and there as we, look, as we look through the teachings of Christ He sheds more light on the law. He expands the law. It's, it's as if Christ takes the law and he, you know, he blows the dust off of it and He, he restores it to its original luster. Matthew 5.21 You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You see how he's expanded really the meaning of the law? So what the Lord does so often here as he teaches these kingdom principles is with laser beam intensity Jesus reveals the real nature or the real issue Jesus teaches that the, real, the true religion is a matter of the heart Jesus teaches us that not only does God hate murder he hates the root of all murder envy, hatred, anger all of these are incipient forms of murder in fact, if you read uh, John's epistle, 1 John, remember he says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. So we get a little bit deeper into this. Now, let's, let's get to the mercy side of this commandment, okay? The mercy side of the law. The absolute moral command includes not only justice, but also mercy. Um, we look now at the positive, because saying no to death, means saying yes to life. Here's the principle. We, have, we haven't we arrived fully. We haven't fully comprehended or applied this commandment simply if we avoid killing people or hating our neighbor. The mercy of God, see, moves us toward fellow men or our fellow man in a positive response. Guys, this is where we failed in this commandment. When Jesus commanded us to love our enemies, he wasn't referring to an emotion. He's referring to an act of the will, choosing to love, performing acts of mercy or performing acts of kindness. And the whole tone of the Sermon on the Mount is not that we spare our neighbor the worst. You know, in our day, um, being a good neighbor means keeping quiet, keeping to ourselves and don't, you know, don't don't hurt anybody you know but but we're asked as Christians to give our best to our neighbor now here's the long reach of this commandment and I took the time earlier to draw this out uh, I hope you can see this and again we're, we're talking about Jesus here in the Gospels Jesus moves toward this law and he moves in the direction of mercy you remember uh, in the Gospels, we're taught by Jesus to love who? Love your neighbor? True. To love who someone else. Love your enemies. Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, his audience that heard those words, that really wasn't anything new to them. These were familiar words. Study the book of Leviticus. I wrote Leviticus. that's what the sinner circle is, the Old Testament Levitical System. They understood that to mean fellow countrymen, fellow Hebrew men. If he's offended you and becomes an enemy, you're to love him, move toward him in kindness. Fellow countrymen. Well, Jesus comes and he expands the law. In the New Testament, the neighbor loses its limits that, that the Hebrew understood of the Old Testament. The best example of this is Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, guys, has worldwide historical significance. We're to move toward our neighbor. Now, who is our neighbor? Well, in a world of four billion people, it's really not practical. It's almost impossible to love, in a biblical sense, to move toward four billion people. But we are, as Christians, to move toward everyone that God has placed in our path. Whomever that might be, we are to move toward that person in mercy and loving kindness and respond to Him. That's briefly... Uh, the sixth commandment. Let's look. We got just a couple of minutes to look at the seventh commandment and this one is the commandment on adultery. Let me throw this up. To help you. I'm, uh, I want to finish next week with the last three commandments. So we want to look at... Is that backwards? Uh, okay. Let's look at the, the last commandment just quickly. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Guys, the Hebrew phrase to commit adultery indicates this, that a man who has sexual intercourse with a married woman destroys the troth of his neighbor. Now, let me answer these two questions quickly. Now, what does this commandment require of us, and why does it require this of us? First of all, what does the Seventh Commandment tell us to do? To really understand the Seventh Commandment, you have to put it in the context of the Hebrew people, God's covenant people, Think in terms of the covenant family. Here here they are po- poised to go into the promised land. And God says to the Hebrew people, His covenant people, you shall not commit adultery. Because this is a family issue. God's covenant, you see, was tied to the future of the people. Now, what was what were the two elements of the covenant? The two promises of the covenant? The two... two, two uh, Really, physical promises God made to His people—that was part of the covenant. Well, it had to—it de- dealt with the posterity of, this, of the man, of the Hebrew male. What was it? First, heritage, offspring, family. The other was land. You'll go in and possess the land. You'll have a piece of land that you can call your own. Family and land. And when a man would go and violate another man's wife, steal another man's wife, it was not only violating that marriage covenant between his violating that troth, he was certainly doing that in his own marriage covenant he was violating that but he was jeopardizing the future of that man so in a sense when you committed adultery you were really committing adultery against that man because you were stealing his wife you were risk violating that man's future his very future was at risk when you When you steal his wife, no more offspring, his future was at risk. So the essence of this commandment was violating another man's honor. Remember Proverbs 6, jealousy arouses a husband's fury. He will show no mercy when he takes revenge. Now, here's one of the basic points I want you to see in this diagram. I hope you can see it all. Uh, Guys, this issue, this commandment, the issue is not really here sex. The issue is the marriage covenant when you think of the marriage covenant, think of it as embedded in God's grand or His macro covenant. The marriage covenant is a micro of the macro covenant. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. 33. This is the covenant I will make with this house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then... Uh, Matthew 19:5 through 6 Jesus uh, the, the Gospels rehearsed this covenant so the marriage covenant is a micro of the macro covenant I'm going to stop there guys because I, I'm committed to honoring your time and some of you have children I'll try to come back here next week because I want to touch just briefly on um, some practical ramifications of this commandment and why why by our fallen natures we struggle so much in this area committing these kinds of sins. We'll look at that next week before we move on to um, the last three commandments. Uh, I, I'm going to stay just a few minutes later I, because I've rushed through some of this. If you have some questions or comments, I'll stay up here and we can talk about it after everyone leaves. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your law. We pray that through your law we will uh, would learn as your covenant people how to honor you and honor you and honor you. Lord, Uh, Teach us the full implications of these laws, not only uh, the justice side of the law, but Lord, reveal to us in practical ways how we, as your people, can move forward in righteousness and mercy. As we treat people in Christ-like ways, show us the ramifications of mercy. Father, go with us as we go to our homes. And Lord, we look forward to Sunday when we come together as your people in celebration and praise to worship you in spirit and truth. We pray all of these things tonight in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.